Welcome to the Reclaim Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Whether you're a part of our Reclaim Church family or just tuning in for the first time, we would love to connect with you on Instagram at Reclaim Church or at our website at reclaimed-church.com. We hope this word encourages and inspires you today. Let's dive in. What's up? Do you guys feel the fall in the weather? Yeah, this is about as fall as it gets. I used to, when I was young, we used to go up north and watch the quote-unquote leaves change. And I got a little older and I thought, you know, it's kind of sad. We go to like watch trees practically die. You know, they're just going and dropping all their leaves and we think it's exciting. I was like, Florida's the best place on earth because trees truly get to live here. So this is where you want to live, guys. This is where trees really flourish. They, they don't have to lose their leaves. And you don't have to lose yours either. This is where you want to be is Florida. All right, so never leave. That's why everyone's coming here is because it's the best. All right, so just in case you didn't have, you, didn't, you need some convincing, John, just in case you need some convincing, Florida's the best place to live. All right, so just in case, that's just an opinion. The Bible doesn't say it, but... Um, just in case you're new, um, haven't been here the past few weeks, we are in a series called Necessary Sins. It's like our third week into the topic. And the reason why there's a question mark there, again, I told you, my wife said she'll have to find a new church if I didn't add the question mark. So I added the question mark. And just in case you're wondering what I mean by necessary sins, is there's times in our life, whether we're going through a difficult season, an inconvenience, or a struggle that we have particular emotions and those emotions, the way that we express ourselves can feel so necessary. Last week we talked about frustration and whether you are in traffic, you're at a tough day at your job, whatever it might be, that response of frustration, that reaction of frustration can feel like a necessary response. Like this is just a way for myself, for me to express what it is that I am feeling. But again, we talked about even though it might be culturally necessary, even though your parents might have taught you this um, unawaring, they taught you to express through frustration, whatever it might be, just because it feels necessary doesn't mean that it actually is. So that's what it is that we've been talking about. And this week, we're going to talk about blaming and complaining. All right. So this is our next necessary sin is blaming and complaining. So before we get um, too deep into the topic, we're going to kick off by reading a passage of scripture out of the gospel of John. So this is John's account of what it was like to be with Jesus, what he got to witness and what he got to be a part of. And in chapter 16, just to give you some context, we're going to read verse 33, but Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them that there is a time to come that's going to be filled with weeping and mourning. But he tells them, do not be worried because it's going to be somewhat like a woman going into childbirth where it might be an extremely difficult time, 
But what's to come afterwards, it all of a sudden makes all that pain, all of that sadness, that fear, all of that disappears once the baby is born. And that moment is just filled with complete joy and complete excitement. And it's like you get whitewashed and you don't even remember what it was like. I remember when we were in the hospital, Allie was like, don't let me ever do this again. And, you know, and a few weeks later, whenever Lindsay, just a little bit, when Lindsay was going to have her baby, she's like, I'm kind of jealous that she's at the hospital right now. That was like the best experience ever. And I was like, no, it wasn't. Like, it was awful. Like, you were screaming. You were terrified. Like, we thought you might die. Like, what are you talking about? And she's like, I am so jealous. That was just the best day ever, just being at the hospital. And I'm like, no. It wasn't. Um, I was literally in the room. Um, it was a little bit embarrassing, but have you guys ever played VR before? It's super cool. And she was like on the bed and there are multiple times that the doctor would come in and I was just like in the corner of the room like with my headset on and headphones like playing VR and I'd look up and I'm like, hey, you know, like try to act like mature, like I'm about to have a child. I'm like, yeah, you know. And um, he was like, oh yeah, are you playing this game? Like he was super into it, but it felt a little bit wrong whenever I pick up my headset and my pregnant wife was having her check up. But anyway, good times. But the point is, is when the baby comes, it can completely whitewash it to where it feels like great joy and excitement. He goes, there is a time coming when you're going to be afraid. You're going to be separated from all of your friends. You're going to be separated from me, and you're going to feel completely alone. And he goes, I'm telling you all of this. So in the midst of all of that, you can behave. And this is what he says in chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. So despite the fact that you're going to be fearful, despite the fact that you're going to be alone, you can still have peace in me because obviously here on earth, we're going to go through trials. We're going to go through struggles, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Again, so he's explaining this illustration, how despite the fact that we can go through difficult times, we are still meant to live in peace despite of it. All right. So John also talks about a the same topic in his letter, 1 John, and in chapter 5, verse 4, he says, for whoever has been born of God, so that means a believer, you put your faith in Jesus, whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. It's by our faith. All right, so Jesus overcame the world by him dying on the cross, paying the ultimate price, and he defeated death, hell, and the grave when he resurrected, all right? And by our faith, Christ invites us into this lifestyle of victory. He invites us into this lifestyle where we are meant to live as overcomers because of what it is that Jesus has done. So you and I are meant to live like victors, but the sad truth is the majority of the time we can live like victims. And it can happen time and time again that whenever we go through struggle, struggles, whenever we go through trials, the problem is never what's going on in here. The problem is always what's going on out there. And I am just a victim 
to the traffic. I am just a victim to my controlling boss. I am just a victim to my spouse. And as long as I believe that I can't control what's going on out there, I will believe that I don't have to control what's going on in here. And that's why all of a sudden blaming and complaining can feel so necessary because we believe that we are the victim of our, search, of our situation, so we blame what the real problem is on what's going on out there and never on what's going on in here. Now, just in case you're unfamiliar with the kind of um, terminology of the victim mentality, Wendy really kind of brought it into our culture, and I've told this story before, but Wendy tells a story about how when um, Caleb was chopping up fruit for his fruit smoothies and he got to the bananas, right? It was a banana. And he went over to Wendy and he said, hey, these bananas look bad. And he's prepping all of his weekly smoothies and he's going to freeze them so he can just drop the bag in and blend them up. And he goes, these bananas look bad. I think I'm going to toss them. And Wendy goes, no, don't toss them. They're perfectly fine. Like, they're fine. Just go ahead and cut them up. So he cuts them all up. He puts them in the little baggies and then next morning comes, he makes his first smoothie. Well, the smoothie is disgusting, all right? The bananas went bad, and so not only is his smoothie ruined, but all of these little baggies that he made are now mixed with these bananas that aren't any good. So he goes over and he tells Wendy, hey, the bananas that you told me to put in my smoothie and in the baggies are no good. And if you guys have spent any time with Wendy, this sounds just like her. And he looks, she looks at Caleb and, he, and she goes, well, Caleb, you're not the victim. <laughs> and he goes, oh yeah, you're right. I chose by my own free will to chop up the bananas. I'm the one that put them in the baggies. I'm the one that blended up the smoothie. So actually the responsibility is on me and not on you. So he goes back and he picks out all of the bananas from all the baggies. But the point is, this is what a victim mentality is, as many of us believe that the bananas are not actually our fault. We spend our lives blaming our parents. We spend our lives blaming our spouse because all we want to do is push off responsibility from ourselves. And what we do is we continue to have spoiled bananas in our smoothies because it takes responsibility for us to realize that it's actually our responsibility to pull the bananas out. And this kind of created a culture shift for a lot of us, because if you would have asked me a year ago or two years, whenever we started talking about this, if I had a problem with a victim mentality, I would have told you, absolutely not. Like, I'm amazing. Like, I do not deal with the victim mentality. And then um, it kind of, like, came into our conversations and our topics where Wendy would be like, hey, Corey, you're not a victim. I feel like, you know, what do you say to that? You know, like, I am a victim. Look at how victimized I am by this traffic, by these bananas, by how slow the waitress is. Like, I am a victim to all of this. And what it comes down to, it's the same thing with frustration, like we talked about last week. Every time I go to blame or complain, it's because something isn't going the way that I want it to go. And now, um, you know, Allie and I, she'll bring up the comment, you know, oh, you know, you're not a victim. And it's like, oh, gosh, I want to be. I want to be the victim because I want to sit here and complain so everyone can tell me how right I am and how justified I am in my emotions. You know, we'll be on the disc golf course and I'll end up behind a tree and here comes Xander. You're not the victim, Corey. You're not the victim. And it's like, no, I am the victim. You know, like someone will just, will you just agree with me that my life sucks 
and it's not my fault, you know? Can someone just agree with me? But then I have to come to terms with the fact that I'm behind a tree because of my own incapability to throw this piece of plastic correctly. You know, it's difficult, but until we actually come to terms with the fact that many of us are behind trees in our life, not because of our parents, not because of our spouses, but because of the fact that we haven't learned to control ourselves. Yes, people might have advised you to chop up bananas. Yes, people might have been harsh to you. They might have treated you wrongly. But the point is that you are responsible for you. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 5, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. We're each responsible for our own behavior. This is coming from the guy that's imprisoned and they're trying to kill him for teaching about Jesus. And he's going, I'm responsible for the way that I behave and the way that I act even though I'm in prison. I'm in traffic for five minutes and I can't even control the way that I act. And he's been imprisoned, he's been beaten, he's been tortured, all because he is doing the very thing that he was created to do. He's doing everything right, and everyone else is doing everything wrong, and yet this is the man that goes, we are responsible for our conduct, for the way that we behave, for the way that we react, we're responsible for it. It just seems like it can be human nature. It comes so naturally. It can feel so necessary to blame, to blame, to blame, and then to complain. In Genesis chapter 3, very familiar passage, verse 11, um, the Lord speaks to um, Adam, and he says, Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked Adam and Eve. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to? And the man replied, look at what he said. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. It wasn't my fault. It was the woman. Don't clap too loud, Clay. It was the woman. It was not my fault. It was completely her. And then the Lord turns to the woman and the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, that's why I ate it. It wasn't me, it wasn't me, because the moment that we start to face consequences, the first thing that we try to do is not assume responsibility, it's to try to figure out who can we push this onto, because I'm not really responsible. I don't really want to have to deal with the consequences of my actions. I want someone else to pay the price, not me. For some reason, it comes so easily and it can feel so necessary. And again, you could have been brought up in this kind of culture where you believe that nothing is really your fault, that you're always the victim. And believe me, you won't know it until your spouse and all your friends start calling it out in you. So I hope that you have a really nice friend group that can do that in a um, really happy way to where you don't feel like you're a screw up. But this is kind of the point is you can live as a victim and be so unaware of it. And yet the Lord has called us to live as victors. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3, it says, A person's own folly leads to their ruin, 
yet their hearts rage against the Lord. I love this passage. It's easier to read it when you're looking at someone else's life than not yours. But it's such a cool passage because, you know, many of you have probably seen it. People go through difficult times in their lives. They end up getting lung cancer from years of smoking. And then it's the Lord's fault. Look at what the Lord has done. Why couldn't he heal me? Why couldn't he change me? And, you know, it's, it's really difficult. But what happens is people make decisions for such a long period of time. And when the consequences of those decisions finally come up, they want to figure out who can I place this blame on? And when they can't place the blame on their spouse, when they can't place the blame on their family, the next person that they look to is God. Because if I can place the blame on someone else, I'm not truly responsible for what it is that I've done. And yet Paul also said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, he says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what it is that you plant. And yet many of us, we are constantly planting seeds of negativity, and we wonder why that's always what we reap. We spend our lives finding something to complain about, and yet that is the harvest that we find every single morning. Many of us have been planting seeds, and we're so confused why it is that we harvest things that we don't like. It just seems to be human nature. And we've talked about this a while ago in the Habits series. But remember, life is only 5% what happens to you. And the other 95% is attitude. It completely depends on how it is that we're responding, how it is that we're reacting. Because we can go through the same situation, respond differently, and feel completely different about it. Again, you can look at Paul as an example. Spent the majority of his life in prison, and yet he he claims that he was always full of joy, that this is a command of the Lord, that we are meant to live in joy. And yet I can go through a similar situation where I had to go to the God-forbidden town of Wildwood and enter into their post office, and I can barely keep a smile on my face. Yesterday I tried. I went in and I was like, God, I will not be frustrated here. I will not. This place will not steal my joy. Jesus, open up the heavens on this place. You know, they need it, God. Open it up. And, you know, when I went in there with a great attitude, guess what? Matt Rogers walked in, all right? And you know that guy carries joy wherever he goes. And I'm like, see, this was because I refused to get frustrated, and Matt Rogers came here. I'm literally believing it. But the point is, many of us, we simply complain only because we're not getting what we want. We talked about this last week when we talked about frustration. And I don't know if you guys got as fr tried to get frustrated as many times as I did last week, but it helps so much for us to stop and pause and go, okay, I'm getting frustrated. I'm going to complain only because I'm not getting what I want. And it's that phrase that causes us to pause and go, okay, I'm responsible for my conduct. I'm responsible for the way that I behave. And um, Dr. Travis Bradbury talks a lot about this in his book. How many of you guys have read, read um, Emotional Intelligence 2.0? Wow. Okay. Everyone um, go buy the book, read it. It is like one of the global bestsellers, like one of the highest rated bestselling books ever. So um, definitely check out the book. But he talks about how 
He talks about how the more that we think about something, the more often we will think about it in the future. And we've talked about this before when it comes to neuropathways. And if you walked down the center of your front lawn every single day for the next five years, there will eventually be a rut in your front yard from walking in the same place. And once there is a rut created, it becomes easier to then walk in that rut. And our brains work the same way. When we live our lives out of negativity, we create something called a neuropathway, which creates an easier way to think. So he talks about how when you have a negative lifestyle, when you think negatively, when you come into situations that might be neutral, when you already have a negative neuro pathway, your mind will automatically choose negativity because it's the easiest path traveled. So the way to stop yourself from forming or from destroying a neuro pathway that isn't healthy is you have to create a barrier to make your brain think. And that barrier is to go, I'm not getting what I want because your mind is really lazy and it likes to think in ruts because it's the easiest way to perform. So when we create these negative neuropathways and we find ourselves getting frustrated or we find ourselves going to complain or blame, it only happens because I'm not getting what I want. And it causes your mind to pause and go, okay, where should I actually be walking? Maybe I shouldn't be walking on the front lawn, even though that's what my parents have done for the last 40 years. Maybe I should choose to walk down the sidewalk. Yeah, it might take a little bit longer, but maybe that's the better track to take. And many of us might have some really unhealthy neuropathways, but guess what? You're not the victim. All right, it's up to you. You have to take responsibility for your own conduct, for your own behavior, and you have to learn how to think differently. If you train your brain to think negatively, you will find negativity. If you train your brain to notice the joys in life, you will live a more joyful life. One of the most popular Bible verses, I would say maybe top 10, I don't know, um, is 1 Thessalonians 5.16 has to be still one of my all-time favorite verses, even though I hate to go with the crowd, but it's the Bible, so I guess it's okay. Um, It starts out and says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will who belong to Christ Jesus. And the reason why this is like my favorite verse is because I feel like it's such like American culture, especially Christian culture for us to figure out what it is that we're meant to do. Like, what is God's will for my life? Like, what am I made to do? And for some reason, everyone's always thinking that God's will for your life is some like really cool occupation. Like God's goal for my life is to be a famous influencer. And he's gonna be so happy when I get that first advertising deal. Like I'm finally going to fulfill God's will. And it's like, it's not an occupation. It's actually a way that we behave. And the way that we behave, we can actually walk out God's will for your life. So you can do that as an influencer or you can do it as um, 
a garbage truck driver, which is, you know, my dream, guys, is to own a garbage truck um, business. So if you guys hear about anyone, it's going to be called Gehenna Services. Please let me know. All right. This is my lifelong dream is to have Gehenna Services. So just a plug. I feel like the more people that I tell, it will just create an opportunity. So I can't stop but letting everyone I know say that that is my dream. All right. So it doesn't matter if it's that or if it's working at Winn-Dixie, whatever it might be, God's will for your life is to be joyful. God's will for your life is to be thankful in all circumstances. So get this, when you and I live life as a victim, when we live life blaming or complaining, we actually have to step out of what we were designed to do. We have to step into something that we were never designed to do, and that is to complain. And that's why there's been numerous scientific studies that show that that people that spend their lives in negativity or stress, they live years less than those that don't. And it's because when you behave in a way that the creator did not create you to behave in, it's operating outside of your intended use. You were intended to be joyful. You were intended to be in peace despite what's going on out there because you're responsible for what's going on in here. I'm responsible for what's going on in here. I'm not just a victim. I am a victor because of what Jesus has done in my life. Even though I'm inconvenienced, all right? I wish I could say that I complain because of pain or sorrows or these big trials, but most of the time I complain because I'm inconvenienced. Like that is about the height of the bad stuff that I go through in my life. I am inconvenienced and just because of an inconvenience, I completely step outside of the way that I was designed to operate. I step outside of God's will for my life and I step into something completely opposite. God designed you and I to always be joyful to never stop praying and to be thankful in all circumstances. Mark Waldman, who also works in neuroscience, and I'm going to ask if you know who that is because I was disappointed last time. He says that every time you complain, every time you're irritable, your irritability is like a virus, and it sends this neurological signal, which is picked up by every person who hears your voice or sees your face, And he says, so by all means, train your brain to be optimistic and positive because according to 30 plus years of a particular research study that I can't pronounce, according to Duke University and the Mayo Clinic, it will literally add years to your life. Because of the way that you can train yourself to think differently, it will literally add years to your life. And in order to complain, again, this is so crazy to me, in order for us to complain, we have to violate God's will and plan for our life. We have to go against everything that we were created for. We have to operate outside of what it was that you and I were designed for, but yet it can feel so necessary. And it's up to us because we are responsible. It's up to us to act differently to have control over what it is that we think and what it is that we, and how we behave, all right? Because again, remember, we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our habits. So what habits have you created in your mind? 
What habits have you created in your lifestyle? What habits are you teaching your children? Because they need to be habits to where we're constantly thankful, not to where we're constantly negative. Because remember, don't mock the justice of God. You will always reap what it is that you have planted. And if you're looking for negativity, you will always find it. That plays into our confirmation bias. Whenever it is that we're looking for something, you will always find it. And if you're looking for joy, if you're looking for peace, you can be sure to find it. And the challenging thing is complaining can feel so reasonable. Like we always, no one just steps out or you'd be pretty unhealthy. No one just like complains about everything. You know, no one's at Disney complaining, or actually I know a few people that are at Disney complaining, but anyway, no one's at an extremely exciting scenario complaining normally. Normally people can find a reason. The only time people are at Disney complaining is when they've already created that neuro pathway and they've already started looking for negativity, so they're gonna find it. But most of us, hopefully, we find something, whether it's, you know, I'm talking about my stuff, traffic, the Wildwood Post Office, whatever it might be, and we, we know we're going to have a reason for negativity, so we automatically complain. We automatically blame. I'm frustrated because of this, but yet we are still responsible for what it is that's going on in us, and just like um, we've talked about before, fear will always attract what information is needed to legitimize its existence. Complaints will do the same thing. If we have a heart that wants to complain, we will always attract whatever information is needed so that we can continue to complain. It takes a decision for us to step outside of it. That's why the Apostle Paul said to do all things without murmuring or complaining, because it takes a decision. It's actually a biblical command for us to step outside of it and go, wow, this isn't just a necessary response to what's going on around me. I am actually responsible to what's going on in here. Psalms 22.3 says, you are holy and you are enthroned on the praises of Israel or enthroned on the praises of your people, depending on the verse. And I just think it's interesting to think about that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. All right, so whenever we were in worship or the way that we live our lives, whenever we choose to behave in the way that scripture commands us, he's enthroned by our praises, by the way that we behave and by the way that we act. And it just makes me wonder, I wonder who becomes enthroned upon his people's complaints. I wonder who is enthroned and who is glorified by the way that you behave. Who is brought glory by the way that you handle yourself in trials and the way that you handle yourself when you don't get what you want? And I'm going to be honest, like if we actually take it to a serious level, I would love to meet God one day and him to go, you glorified me with your life, not just when you were in church, but when you were at the Wildwood Post Office. You glorified me. Because I'm going to be honest, if I take a look over my last month or two months, I can find scenarios where I really didn't glorify God. I wasn't glorifying God. I was throwing a temper tantrum because I wasn't getting what I want. 
And it's such this interesting dilemma because as adults, we can feel like we're so mature. We can feel like we're so selfless until you actually start to take a list of what frustrates you and what annoys you. I would like challenge you if you guys would actually do it, make a list of the things that frustrate you and that makes you want to complain. I can promise you, I was going to read it to you and I'm like, I'm too embarrassed. (laughs) Like I'm not reading that. I look like an eight-year-old. It's because it just comes so naturally. It comes so naturally. It feels so necessary until you start writing it down and you're like, man, I'm a child. Like, I might not say it out here all the time, but a lot of times we think our complaints in here. We're still creating those neuropathways and the complaints that I think when I write them down later, I'm like, man, that's really immature. Like, that's rough. Like, I am responsible for my own conduct. So I would challenge you guys, if you actually want to make sure that the way that you think and the way that you behave is reflecting Jesus, that the way that you live your life is glorifying him, I would challenge you guys, next time you get frustrated, next time you want to complain that you want to blame, write down the reason. Just write it down, and then the next day, (laughs) look back over it, because it doesn't feel the same when you look back over it the next day. A lot of people never get to where they want to be because they never stop complaining about where they are. I remember way back when we were at a little um, country church, and I heard this country pastor say, when, when you praise, you get raised, but when you complain, you'll always remain the same. And it really stuck with me because you know, when you complain, you really do a lot of times just remain in the same place. You'll stay the same person because you will always believe that the problem is out there and never in here. I have no responsibility to change because the problem is just them. I'm just a victim to what's going on around me. And yet complaining only happens when we're more mindful about a problem than we are about God. Dr. Laura Nyham, who's again big in neuroscience, says the opposite of complaining is gratitude. We should talk about the things that we're thankful for rather than the things we are unhappy about. Our minds are like steering wheels. They take us in the direction we point them. If we focus on positive things, we move in the direction of greater happiness and more success. Again, this is why Jesus was trying to to point his disciples in a new direction. Despite the fact that you're going to face trials, despite the fact you're going to be separated from me and your friends, despite the fact that you're going to be alone, he points them towards a greater peace and a greater joy because he wants them to focus on what is to come in the midst of trials or struggles, and that's how you and I should live our lives as well. Despite our pain or our bitterness, despite the fact that we've been hurt or maybe just inconvenienced, we are meant to look forward to something more important. The fact that we are going to spend everlasting life the fact that we're going to be spending everlasting life with the Father, the fact that you've been given children, that God has blessed you with a great family, you know, finding that thing that the Lord has blessed you with in the midst of your little inconvenience or your complaint, you turn your mind towards something else, pointing your mind like a steering wheel.
All right. Because again, in order for us to change a victim mentality or this um, blame and complain game, we have to change our lives from a lifestyle of complaints to a lifestyle of thankfulness, all right? So in order to do that, we have to create a habit of it, right? We don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our habits. So we first have to create a habit of thankfulness. So I would urge you guys, whether it's a few times a day or once a day, try to find a time maybe on your way to work or on the way home from work, finding something that you're thankful for and thanking God for it. God, thank you so much that my vehicle started. And sometimes, you know, it can be difficult when we're really throwing a temper tantrum and we're really acting like a child. It can be hard to find something that you're thankful for. And that's when you're like, God, thank you that my feet are working. You know, like start small, whatever it might be, and work your way up because whatever you focus on, you will find more of it. All right. This is why the Bible says to be thankful in all circumstances. And like scripture says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, right? So we know that all of the good things that have gone right in our life are coming from the Father. So it's up to us to live a life of thankfulness. And in order to do that, we have to create a habit of it. So maybe going to work, dropping your kids off at school, whatever you guys do daily, try to set a daily reminder to where I'm going to choose to be thankful. All right, sound good? All right, I'm going to read a quote by Viktor Frankl. You guys know who that is? All right. So Viktor Frankl was an Australian, Australian, is that how you say it? Australian? I almost skipped the word, and then I just read over it, and it made me say it. But I said it earlier. I knew I couldn't pronounce it right. All right. Viktor Frankl was an Australian psychologist who worked with concentration camp survivalists. All right. So this is someone that after the Holocaust, after all of those horrible and treacherous things went down, the people that survived those things. This was the man that they brought in to do kind of um, the, the healing process. I mean, how do you heal from something like that? And I'm going to read you one of the quotes that he said um, to them. I think we have it up on the screen. He says, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. If they can do it after surviving a concentration camp, you and I can do it picking up our kids from the school line, all right? If they can do it from surviving extreme and utter pain, then maybe we can do it when someone talks behind our back. If they can do it, if Paul can do it in the midst of prison, in the midst of being beaten and tortured, maybe we can do it when they post that picture on social media and we look 30 pounds overweight. Like maybe we can still, I know it sounds crazy, but maybe we can choose to still be in control of our conduct, even though something happened that you didn't like. Even though something happened that you didn't want, what happens if we actually behaved like the adults that we say that we are? What happens if we actually had control over our conduct and all of a sudden blaming and complaining didn't feel so necessary? 
Proverbs 4.23 says, be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. We have to be so careful about the negative thoughts that we have when we try to blame people for what's going on in our lives. We have to find the responsibility and own it because as long as we complain, we will always remain the same. And I don't want you to just travel down the same rut that you've been traveling down for the last 10 years or the same rut that your parents used to travel down or their grandparents. I want you to have the intellectual and emotional intelligence to pause and go, I'm not getting what I want. I want my life to be a reflection of scripture and not just a reflection of my current emotions. I want to choose what it is that I want most, right? Because discipline is choosing what I want most over what I want now. And what I want most is to be an honorable and intelligent person. What I want now is to throw a temper tantrum. And I'm going to choose what I want most over what I want now. All right, I'm going to pray for you guys and we're going to go. So God, thank you for your word and thank you um, for teaching us that we can be in your will despite the fact that sometimes life can feel ordinary. God, in the middle of our work, in the middle of our school, parenting, um, relationship with our spouse, I ask that you would show us that we can be responsible for our conduct. We can be good, honorable, and wise people and we can live inside your will every day if we choose. So will you give us the grace to do that? We thank you for the honor and privilege um, of being here and worshiping you and knowing you. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe for more from your Reclaim Church family. God bless, and we hope that you have an amazing week.